Welcome to the Peaceful Power Podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Clausen, and today I sit down with Robin Baldwin. Sapphire training helps the on-the-go woman feel more energetic, find her inner peace, and become more powerful by creating a fitness lifestyle she loves. So a little about Robin. Robin is an alpha female and a work-life harmony strategist. She's a full-time marketing manager, a fitness lifestyle blogger at robinbaldwin.com, a former CFL cheerleader and fitness competitor, a published fitness model, a freelance writer, a Kobu best-selling author of Love Lost, Life Found, a brand ambassador, and a podcaster. With a passion for fitness, Robin loves running, weightlifting, and has taught spin and coached beginning runners. She's also a yogi and has been practicing for over 10 years. She now spends the majority of her spare time training for obstacle course racing. She also calls herself an MS warrior after being diagnosed with multiple sclerosis in December of 2014, and now PCOS in December of 2016. All right, so Robin and I actually connected via Instagram, and um, I chatted with her uh, a couple weeks ago for her podcast. She has a podcast called the Alpha Female Podcast, um, and I would strongly recommend it if anyone is you know, feeling like they are an alpha female. She does a great job of connecting with amazing women. So without further ado, here is today's podcast with Robin. All right, welcome to the Peaceful Power Podcast. And today I am super excited. I have Robin Baldwin here um, to talk with us about her fitness journey. So I'm going to kind of kick it over to you, Robin, and go ahead and introduce yourself. I'm so excited to be here. So thankful that you are having me on. So I call myself um, an alpha female. That's my personal brand. And I have um, been kind of just exploring what that means. And really, it's a state of mind of choosing ambition and going after all of my goals and dreams, but in a happy and healthy manner. So I work full time as a marketing manager by day. And then I like to say by morning, noon and night, I'm a work life heart mini strategist. I'm a blogger over at robinbaldwin.com. I'm a podcast host of the Alpha Female Podcast. I'm a, a new author in 2006. I'm an obstacle course racer, a weightlifter, a yogi, a runner. Um, and I also live with multiple sclerosis. So I call myself an MS warrior as well. Mm. That is, I mean, there's so many things that I cannot wait to discuss with you today. <laughs> Got a little bit of everything. Yeah. <laughs> so kind of breaking into it then, how did you get interested in fitness? Has this been like lifelong or something kind of triggered it? You know what? I was on uh, the Dirt in Your Skirt podcast the other day, and she started asking me about my time as a ballerina when I was younger and how it set me up to be an athlete now in my adult years. And I hadn't even put two and two together because I, I say that I didn't get into fitness until 2009. Um, so I had been working full time for a few years and had definitely um, stopped uh, being active, was eating horribly. And I, I didn't put on a ton of weight necessarily, but I was developing what I called skinny fat. Mm. Um, so I wasn't toned. Uh, it was visibly there on my abdomen and I was developing, you know, um, uh, a lot of cellulites on the back of my legs. And I had this moment where I was dating a guy and we got into an elevator and I, um, we were going down to the pool just to go for a swim and sit in the hot tub. And I turned around and I looked at my legs in the mirror and I could see the cellulite. And he looked at me and said, you know, you're getting a little chunky. <laughs> I was just oh my like, oh, what? Um, so needless to say, we broke up and I um, became a fitness competitor. No, <laughs> so, <laughs> 
I joined a boot camp that um, I was really, really excited to kind of learn how to train. I wasn't a gym goer. Um, I was definitely like a cardio bunny and I would just do the elliptical uh, when I went to the gym in my university days and early on in my working world. But um, I didn't know how to lift weights or anything. So I started in a boot camp called the Hourglass Workout in Toronto with Elizabeth Lopez. And then I hired a personal trainer and just started to teach myself how to train and then teach myself how to nourish myself. And from there, all of the girls at this boot camp were doing fitness competitions. So I said, me too. And I started to train and I competed the first year. Um, so 2009 was my first year of competitions and I did five that fall. Oh my gosh. Wow. So can you tell us a little bit more like fitness competitions, you know, from just kind of being like, I don't, you might, did you know anything about them or did you just kind of sign up because the girls did? I signed up because the girls did. I was like, sure. Like it was totally just a me too mentality. I had no idea what I was getting into, but I knew I would train and look like the girls on the, on the cover of oxygen magazine. Mm. Like that was the goal. That was like, let me look like them. And then maybe I could be on the cover. Like these were my thought processes back then. Yeah. I will not <laughs> lie to you. I had the same processes. So it's right there like, with you. My biggest goal of the year was like, I want to be on the cover of oxygen. <laughs> but like, why? I, like, I didn't ask myself those questions back then. It was just like, set a goal, go after it, get it done, do it. Um, and uh, yeah, so later on, like throughout the year, started learning that I'd have to buy a sparkly bikini and stripper heels to go up <laughs> on stage and find um the right tanning supplies and everything so like I started learning about it as I went I did a couple of kind of like info sessions um and then just like went all in I was like okay I'm gonna do this I'll pay my registration fee buy the sparkly bikini and the stripper heels and then uh used I used the same bikini for like five competitions so I made the most of that one <laughs> well I'm sure they're not cheap either they're not the, and this is why like people doing fitness competitions uh, complain about the cost and I've even seen, and this is ridiculous, I've even seen people start GoFundMe campaigns to pay for entering into fitness competitions. <laughs> I'm just like, no, no, I'm sorry. That is a privilege. That is not over. That is not a right. <laughs> uh, so how many hours did you spend training for these competitions? So I would do... Um, an hour of cardio a day and then an hour weightlifting. Okay. Uh, give or take. So I liked lifting weights first thing in the morning. A lot of, a lot of competitors do, you know, fasted cardio. That seems to be a trend. I'm not sure if it still is. Um, but I would really, really love lifting in the morning when the gym was empty. And then I would love to do cardio in the evening because I could always find a machine. Mm -hmm. And then I also started getting into, running around 2012. So um, it was really fun to join different run clubs in the city when I lived in Toronto and I would run after work. So that was where I got my cardio in. So how did you have time for all this? So I'm assuming you were still working full time and then you kind of decided to do this competitions. So how do people make time? Because I always hear that's kind of the biggest thing with fitness competitors. Mm -hmm. I, I discovered that um, I just would um, start going to bed a little earlier so that I could wake up earlier to go to the gym before the office. Because mm -hmm. for me, if I don't do a workout first thing in the morning, I usually don't do it. I just know myself. Um, so I would have to get up. I started small. 
Um, so I started with like 15 minutes earlier than my normal wake up time and I would just go for a walk. And then um, when I really started dedicating myself to training for the competition, I got up 30 minutes early and I went and I would do 30 minutes on the elliptical or treadmill in my condo gym. And then when I really got into it, that's when I would pack my gym bag the night before and then I would drive down to the gym that was closest to my office. So I would do my weight workouts in the morning there and then I would get ready and then just walk to my office in the morning. And that worked really, really well for me when I lived in Toronto. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like, it's kind of like a little side job if you really want to do well at those competitions then. Yeah. And there was times throughout the years that I was competing where I would find um, times like even at lunch hours, I'm a big fan of the, I call it the runch, the lunchtime run. Um, I would go for runs at lunch. Uh, in my last job in Toronto, I worked down by the waterfront. So I could just like pop on shoes and quickly change. Thankfully we had a shower at the office and I would go for a run at lunch, which was absolutely amazing. But in other jobs that I held, I would find, a local gym. I do like a yoga class at lunch just to get out and move and kind of break up my time. So I always kind of found different ways to fit it in and just scheduled it. As soon as I put it on my phone, it was an appointment with myself that I couldn't miss. So I'm really good at keeping myself accountable that way. And do you still do competitions to this day or are you retired? No, I'm retired and hate the industry and we'll talk forever about how I hate the industry. Um, it, it was my springboard into my health journey and it served me really well for the time that I was in there, but I developed horrible body image um, habits from that. However, I did gain amazing things. Like I gained meal prep and meal planning from my time in the industry and that has served me well and still serves me well to this day. So I'm thankful for what it has taught me and inspired me to kind of optimize my health from there. Mm, that's awesome. <laughs> it's not yes. all negative. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was one. I, I always thought about doing those when I was, you know, probably in my young to mid twenties and then I just never probably thankfully I never decided to jump all in on that. Um, Cause I think, you know, I'm probably, I think we're about around the same age and that was kind of what we had to look at was the oxygen magazine, you know, being on the cover of that, we didn't have, I think social media does a better job if you're following the right people of, you know, kind of putting out different body images and different ways to kind of think about things in the fitness world um, than we might have gotten used to. Cause it was all magazines and who you saw on the covers and we don't always realize, or I didn't, that these people are airbrushed a lot of the times. And, you know, as a young girl, you don't always think that. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I know you also are, um, you know, living with MS and PCOS recently. So mm-hmm. how has that kind of affected your life and your workouts? That's a really loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So MS diagnosis was in December of 2014. So I've been living with the sidekick for two years PCOS is brand new, um, just diagnosed in December of 2016. Um, So I'm learning to live with that sidekick now. In terms of, um, I'll do life first. So the way that I view both of these, and I call them sidekicks because I'm um, very much a positive thinker and talker. So if I choose to treat something positively and with love, then fear thoughts don't take over negative based thoughts. Mm -hmm. So I I believe that I um, have 
developed these autoimmune and hormonal issues in my body so that I can constantly learn how to take care of myself better and optimize my health. So I have lived basically disability free and um, symptom free from an MS standpoint because I have chosen to take care of myself better than I did before. So I thought I was eating healthy. I thought I was um, you know, taking care of myself, but I could do even better. So once I was diagnosed, I you know, dived right into research from a nutritional standpoint, decreasing my stress, reducing toxins in my life, um, both physical and emotional, um, as, as well as um, you know, making sure I get enough sleep every single night um, and all of that. So there was these all these areas in my life that I was doing well in, but I could have done better. And so MS has just taught me to always do better. Mm. From a workout standpoint, uh, because I'm disability free, I um, am I'm very fortunate that it doesn't affect me. Whereas MS is a snowflake disease. And that means, you know, every single snowflake is different in the world and MS symptoms are different for um, all of um, its warriors. And so MS warrior is a positive terminology in the community um, that I like to use because we are, we are empowered to be stronger than the disease. And um, so some people can deal with um, uh, di incredible disability in terms of like not being able to walk, being in wheelchairs. Um, my symptoms are usually just numbness and tingling on the right side of my body. It can go as extreme as loss of vision or loss of motor control in my hands um, or getting really dizzy, but that's usually based on extreme workouts and heat or extreme cold. So the central nervous system in my spine um, at, um, at, at near the top of my spine um, is where the myelin sheath has been eaten away. So if I overheat and um, my body temperature rises, that area that's been exposed, um, the central nervous system kind of short wires there and has trouble communicating down my body. So that's how my workouts have been affected in terms of, um, you know, I may, I may run a race in the summer and get overheated and then I'm not functioning uh, as I used to. So uh, in terms of workouts, I've learned how to cool off properly. Um, and know my body when like, I know when I can't work out outside in the summer and when I need to take my workouts indoors. Um, it hasn't stopped me. It's become very frustrating, but I'm constantly trying to figure out how to work around it. And then uh, from a PCOS standpoint, uh, the way that it has, it hasn't affected my life in any other way. I'm still dealing with the, the recent diagnosis and research. So I haven't really experienced that much with it yet. So how did you kind of deal with it when you kind of were told that you had these, you know, what was kind of your first, like, yes, I'm going to get through this. Or did you have like a, oh my gosh, you know, kind of moment, like how did you work through these? So, um, with the MS diagnosis, I, um, had basically developed full, um, symptoms on the right side of my body. So my entire right side had slowly got gone numb pins and needles, tingling and pain over the course of a week, which led me to uh, drive myself to a hospital and demand testing. And um, the, the, I, I tell the entire story in my blog. So I uh, had a 
it's one of my most popular posts is my diagnosed with MS post. And I kind of share like what I was going through, but long story short, um, went through a series of testing that included MRIs without the tracing agent. And so the lesions on my spine and brain, they could see them, but to confirm a diagnosis, you need to have the MRIs with the tracing agent uh, because the tracing agent, the lesions will then appear brighter on the, the scan. And lesions are really um, just inflammation in the area where the myelin sheath is being eaten away. So that's the best way to describe the, the terminology that's used in the medical community. And um, the doctor that first saw the initial MRI without tracing agent came into my room and said, you know, there's demyelination on your scan. It's indicative of MS, but we need to run more tests in the morning. So we, we need to keep you overnight. Mm. And I was just like, I'm sorry, what? Did you just like kind of diagnose me, but not really diagnose me? And then just like place a, a, a term in my head, but it's not confirmed because you now need to keep me on a gurney in the hospital hallway all night while I cry. And then you have to repeat the test in the morning. Can I, can I just go home to my comfortable bed and then come back in the morning? Like, tell me what time you're going to give me the next MRI and I'll be back. And um, so you, <laughs> I kind of went, I, I went through all four stages of grief, like yeah. overnight. Well, and I, they didn't even put me in a room because I didn't, I wasn't critical. So oh I didn't, I didn't need, um, I didn't, I need, I didn't need monitors. So they actually put me on a gurney <laughs> in, the, in the middle of the emergency room hallway, oh right by the gosh. nurse station. So I didn't sleep all night. <laughs> and, um, basically had my friends bring me like a phone charger for my phone and I just scrolled social media all night and, and cried. <laughs> so I, I searched for the hashtag MS and then I found the hashtag MS warrior and I could see such positivity in the hashtag MS warrior community of people just like living with this autoimmune disease and owning it and not letting their lives stop them. And I think I even, I announced it right away on social media the next morning when I had the, the confirmed diagnosis. And I was like, I need someone to tell me of an obstacle course racer that has MS. Like I need, I need, you, I need you to find this for me so that I could seek inspiration from them. And so I kind of went into acceptance right away and just how am I going to live with this? How am I going to deal with this? And um, one of the best things was sharing it publicly on my blog and social media meant I connected with so many different people in the community and also got a ton of advice and research suggestions that I could then filter through on my own time. And so I was probably the best part of like announcing the diagnosis is I got recommendations on books to read, um, different diets to look into and stuff like that. So really thankful despite people saying like, you shouldn't announce that, like you shouldn't make that public. Like you're going to be treated differently at your job now. Like, what? <laughs> so, so yeah, everyone has their opinions and announcements like that can be very polarizing and you'll get all sorts of different responses. You have to learn to filter them. Totally. And you have to do what's best for you. So clearly that's, you know, what you were called to do and you had a positive response from it. Mm -hmm. So I know that you had mentioned in there that you kind of wanted an obstacle race. So is that kind of, you've already retired from the fitness competition at this point, and this is kind of your next thing that you were looking to do. Is that kind of the timeline of all of this? No. So I was actually, um, I did, I found obstacle course racing in 2012 after I left a very toxic relationship and 
I also found it at a time where my mother had said, when are you going to stop strutting around on stage in a sparkly bikini and actually do something with your strengths? Oh my gosh. (laughs) So I had done, uh, I think it was 2012, I ran my first Warrior Dash, which is a fun mud run and uh, had had started kind of, I call it the entry drug into obstacle course racing. And from there, I found a training facility in Toronto and this amazing community and just started doing different events. So like I tried my first Tough Mudder and then my first Spartan race and then my first X-Man race and next dead end race. Like I just kept trying all of the, the options in, in the local area and realized that I was a lot stronger than I thought. And I was actually pretty decent endurance wise. And so I was like, am I an athlete? Like, this is cool. (laughs) And I saw myself getting stronger and I could tackle an obstacle and I may not have been able to climb the rope. um, My first obstacle course race or even in training, but as I started training and getting stronger and getting more confident, a lot of these obstacles are based on having confidence. I could see um, improvements. And that was really, really cool to see. So yeah, I kind of got into obstacle course racing two years before my MS diagnosis. Mm, that, that is so awesome. Do you still participate in them to this day? I do. Yes. So I'm i I'm a little obsessed. The, the, I guess like October, November before my diagnosis is when you start planning your race schedule for the next year, because all the dates are released. And so I had planned to do about 15 races in 2015 and that ended up being 20 because I kept getting opportunities and they're like, you want to do this one? I'm like, yes. And I was, I was part of a community in Toronto that does as many races as possible. So you like, didn't want to miss out on a race weekend. You're like, sign me up, sign me up, take my money. Um, and so are um, you doing like two a month then? Sometimes. Yeah. They were heavier in the summer, Okay, um, but it was like, uh, we were doing winter ones as well. So like polar hero and, um, things like that. So it was quite extensive. I did learn my lesson from that. And although I was trying to prove that I was stronger than MS, I was not stronger than adrenal fatigue. Mm. (laughs) So, um, so trying to do that to my body. I was also rehabbing from an ankle injury. Um, And uh, so I was racing and resting. I was racing and resting. So I wasn't really training. So I wasn't doing like the best I could have done because I wasn't training hard. Um, I was just racing a lot. Mm. Um, So got adrenal fatigue at the end of the year. That taught me a massive lesson. So last year, 2016, um, I promised myself I would like totally pull back and do, I said, I'll do one a month. So that worked out to 12. Um, and I actually did less. I think I ended up around seven or eight for the year. So is this kind of where self-care got introduced to your life where you're like, I need to take care of me a little bit better? Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things that I discovered when I was researching um, how to live with MS was stress on the body causes inflammation. And MS is an inflammation disease. So the lesions are basically inflammation. So if you can reduce inflammation in your body, whether it be from nutrition, supplementation, um, taking care of physical stress uh, in your body, then you can lead a healthy life and your cells won't get confused and attack. Like this was my, my scientific reasoning. So the same thing from a physical standpoint, if I'm going to choose to do a hardcore obstacle course race, that it's going to, you know, shoot my cortisol levels up and then cause physical inflammation just from 
exertion, then how do I reduce that immediately? So my simple first self-care step that I was doing uh, in my first year of diagnosis and while racing was Epsom salt baths. Mm. And establishing like a nightly bath practice was just so calming. And then, I, then it was better for my stress relief and self-care. So it's like little things like that where I just, I was doing it to treat MS also developed an amazing self-care routine. And then I started getting known for just having an amazing self-care routine of Epsom salt baths and um, gratitude journaling and going to bed so that I would get my eight hours of sleep. But all of it was based on taking care of myself and living with an autoimmune disease. That is beautiful. Um, that's something else I also am very passionate about is just the self-care and taking time for yourself when you need it and listening to your body. So that's one of the other things with like adrenal fatigue is just kind of being like, what is my body telling me right now? So, and honoring it. And so even if you did sign up for 12 and being like, you know what, seven or eight is really what it's looking like, you know, that's honoring your body. Mm -hmm. And it takes a while to listen to your body. I'm not going to lie, especially for strong A types, they want to be stronger than, than what your body is telling you. And you also don't want to admit like, I think I'm tired. No, I'm not tired. Like <laughs> that's my, that's my ego telling me I need to give up. And it's not always your ego. Like sometimes you really have to just listen to your body, but differentiating between ego and confidence versus actually what your body is telling you takes a bit of practice. Oh, that's golden. Golden. I have most of my clients are definitely alpha female. So I'm hoping they got that last line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I know that one of your biggest shifts in your life came from when you left a toxic relationship. So I first heard your story on your podcast and it was so gut-wrenching and I thought it was super brave of you to share. So for people who have not heard the story, can you kind of give us a little brief, um, you know, kind of synopsis of the story and how you overcame it and then how you kind of left that relationship and then you've really learned to kind of love your life now. So I was, um, I was engaged to be married and we actually met when I started getting into fitness competitions. So we were together for four years. Um, we're engaged to be married in 2011. The, the wedding was planned for 2012 and um, we ended up calling off the wedding um, a month before. So uh, just filled with um, feelings of guilt and shame and embarrassment that um, many can feel when a relationship is ending, something that also is, is so public too, because in today's social media world, we share on social media, all of our Pinterest boards and um, events leading up to a big event um, such as a wedding. And so uh, utter devastation at the time. Um, the relationship was very toxic as well because I was living with someone who was extremely mentally ill um, and not taking care of themselves. And I was trying to not only fix him, mm -hmm. but also fix our relationship. So um, it was a very unhealthy codependent relationship that led me very... <laughs> it led me to a very broken place at the end. I didn't understand why the relationship wasn't working and why we weren't able to fix it. Cause I believe in unconditional love. And I also believe in the promise and the sanctity of marriage. And when I had promised myself to this person, I didn't want to just give up. I don't, I don't believe in divorce um, and any of that. So I was fighting hard, but um, I couldn't fight for a person that didn't want to help themselves and couldn't take care of himself. Um, and you can only do so much for another person. Um, after we called off the wedding and um, I went on my honeymoon with my mother, um, 
I got back and I found out that he had actually been very unfaithful and there was Mm. a lot of warning signs and red flags and guns going off that I should have seen, but I ignored them because I was trying to um, be all in and take care of somebody. So um, I'm thankful for what I went through. I'm thankful for what it taught me and the resilience I learned. Um, uh, And one of the biggest things was um, like the fitness competitions was really like, it was masking a lot of the problems. Like instead of dealing with things at home um, that we were working through, uh, I would just go to the gym. Mm -hmm. And so that hid a lot of, of things. But as I was developing in the fitness journey, I was also starting to develop from a personal um, personal standpoint. And I was growing and I was trying to grow in the relationship and with this individual, but there was no growth on, um, on his part. And so, uh, when I, when we finalized the relationship, we left it. Um, and I was, I was lost. I didn't know who I was as Robin. I was so, um, I, I was so much identified in the relationship that I didn't know who I, who I was. And I realized that I had stopped doing things that I love, I'd stopped doing things that made me happy so that I could be home on suicide watch and mm-hmm. taking care of somebody else. So one of the things that I did as I um, started to rebuild myself was like, what is going to, what is going to make me happy? And I read the happiness project um, pretty much right away after coming back from the, the honeymoon with my mom and realized that, that I was now going to be starting a happiness journey. So I'd, you know, had a fitness journey, moving into a health journey of optimizing my health and taking care of myself and learning to do obstacle course racing. And then um, now it was becoming a self-development journey and just figuring out what I needed in my life to be excited about it again. Mm. Thank you so much for sharing. Mm -hmm. Because I think that's just definitely relatable. I mean, to people in many different levels, um, whether they've been through it directly or might've heard or probably had a friend who's been through something similar um, and just kind of having the courage to know, okay, this situation is not right, you know, and stepping away from it. Mm-hmm. And the details, um, they, uh, sometimes they matter in terms of us being able to like um, connect with another individual. Like, yes, I went through that too. I understand you. Um, but it, it, it's, it's different for everyone. And we all have um, something in our lives that hasn't served us well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't matter the magnitude, a broken heart is a broken heart. <laughs> and, um, and any type of, um, codependency or any type of losing yourself in a relationship is like that, that exists in, in every form in any magnitude. So being able to find yourself after that is pretty universal in the broken heart world. Mm. Totally. Um, and then Matt, you had mentioned the happiness project, Gretchen Rubin's book. Mm -hmm. I also loved and read that book myself. So (laughs) what did you take from that and what did you kind of do to make your own happiness project? So my biggest tools from that book were creating themes for every month. Mm -hmm. So I started organizing my year, um, as a single woman, um, in terms of like figuring things out. So, um, my first month, Uh, I just wanted to get back to basics of taking care of myself and things that I had learned in my fitness journey. So like getting enough water every day, starting to meal prep again and eat healthy instead of emotionally eating, Um, which I had definitely done. 
um, getting back into the gym like once a week, then, you know, the next week I would do twice a week and then three times a week. So it was almost like I had started my fitness journey, um, again, but it was like a, an anchor in terms of taking care of myself. And from there I did, um, like February, I think was like cleaning out my life. So like getting rid of anything in the condo that reminded me of the relationship or of him, um, just even like donating clothes, like cleaning, um, under the sink and stuff like that. And just like really, um, getting things out of the condo, uh, really helped me kind of feel clear. And then the next biggest, so I, I don't like constantly recall every single month, but I had a theme for every month. Um, but my biggest one that really started like flipping the switch in terms of actual creating happiness in my life was um, in the summer, I remember reading a blog by Lauren Conrad and the Tone It Up Girls on their summer bucket lists. And I was like, oh, what's a summer bucket list? <laughs> and I looked at it, I was like, it was fun things. And I was like, oh, I don't even know what I've done the past few summers. Like, <laughs> I couldn't even call. And so I was like, let, let me figure out an amazing bucket list for the summer that'll make me feel like I'm living my life again. So it started out super small, just little things um, like barbecue, have a picnic, <laughs> um, go golfing, go on a road trip. And then it became a lot more epic. Like definitely in 2016, it was more my adrenaline junkie phase, like skydiving, mm. bungee jumping, <laughs> <laughs> um, and all of that. But it not only helped me find a life that I love, but it created, um, I call them like movie moments or firsts and like the feeling that you get um, and it's basically like taking, so I was addicted to a bad relationship. It's basically taking an addiction mentality, but putting good. So now I'm addicted to achieving firsts or tackling something for the first time or having a movie moment that is like worthy of a chick flick. <laughs> um, yes. So that's what I started creating. And then it was actually a really good dating tool. So I would make a summer bucket list or a winter bucket list and as I started dating, I would share it with potential first dates. And I'd be like, do you want to do anything on the list? So like, even if you don't like me, we just spent a really fun hour together. Because <laughs> um, I hated dinners. I hated dinners and coffee dates. It was just like interview central. And I, oh. so it's like, you can ask me all the questions you're going to ask me, but let's walk around the top of the CN Tower at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I love it. Yeah, so um, it was not only like a personal list, because I would also try to think about who I wanted to do these things with. And I'd be like, do I, do I want to do these with friends? Or is this something I can actually tackle on my own? And so it was also, a, it was also helping me to become more independent as well. Mm, so it's kind of like, it's almost like a vision board, you know, but like in bucket list form. So I yeah. love that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, doing that, the seasonal bucket list, you know, are you, is it something that you're still doing, you know, every year now? Is that kind of your go-to, maybe you plan it out a certain day of the month? Do you plan the whole year in advance? Or if someone's trying to do this, how would you kind of suggest for them to start? I actually created, um, I published a book this um, past summer called Love Lost Life Found. And it, it covers eight practical steps that I use to uh, heal my life. 
And um, I actually gave away with pre-orders the bucket list fire starter. And just in terms of like organizing them, I only do two seasonal ones uh, just because if I were to do more, I would probably just drive myself crazy. <laughs> um, but in Canada, we have some like to say a short summer and then we can potentially have a long winter. So the summer bucket list was to make the most of my weekends. And then the winter bucket list is to actually enjoy my winters. So those are kind of my two things. And around May, I create the seasonal summer bucket list. And then around November, December, I'll create my winter bucket list. And to this day, I am absolutely in love with it. And I actually have an amazing boyfriend and partner who is an adventurer soul as well. And so we tackle um, the bucket list together. So in January, we've already gone dog sledding. I've, I was supposed to do a snowshoe race, but the snow melted. So it was a trail race. <laughs> um, but we went snowshoeing at Christmas. We went, uh, we had a snowball fight. We made mulled wine. We went on a sleigh ride. Um, we've used our fireplace. Um, what else? Ne next weekend, we're going to go winter camping in a yurt. <laughs> so, so the winter bucket list is like fast and furiously being, being completed, but it just, it makes me so happy to, to know that like my winter weekends are kind of planned out and um, that I'm also having amazing dates with my boyfriend. Oh, yes. I love that. I'm in Minnesota and we also have long winters here. So I can totally relate to that, but I'm like, oh, those are all like fun winter ideas. Cause I'm like, yeah. how can I start doing some of these? Cause yeah. I think a lot of the times, like we put those goals, like I always do, um, Leona Dawson's, her books that she has. And so like you put like a hundred different things that you want to do. And then, you know, I forget about it. And then halfway through the year I look and I'm like, okay, I've done some of them, but a lot of them I've already missed my chance on doing because the season's already passed or whatever. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, just kind of getting a little bit more nitpicky about, okay, what are some like overarching things or even plopping it right into your calendar once you have it, you know, like the snowshoeing, I can't do that in June. So, you know, yeah. I love that you kind of take it and you're just like, this is what we're doing this weekend and let's build mm -hmm. a fire. Why not? Mm -hmm. And if I don't schedule it, it doesn't get done. So mm -hmm. sometimes I'll go with the flow. Like I'll put random things like snowball fight just happened. It wasn't <laughs> scheduled. It wasn't like, okay. Uh, my it's 2 PM. Yeah. It's like, let's Mike, I need, I need to meet you outside uh, in 10 minutes. We're going to have a snowball <laughs> fight. Like it doesn't happen like that. So some of them happen more fluidly, but you know, um, dog sledding, I had to find a, an excursion nearby that could book us in, you know, they, they only book at 8am or 2pm. So like we have to schedule it. So those things, um, I try to kind of get scheduled at the beginning of the season. And uh, the other thing is, is sometimes uh, like trying to book a yurt for camping <laughs> in Canada, if you want, uh, if you want one in the national parks, you have to book it like the minute their, the reservations are released in November. Oh, wow. Um, so things like that, like you have to kind of schedule ahead of time. Um, but then I know that like my, my weekends are going to be full and we're not sitting there on a Saturday morning going, what do you want to do today? Mm. So, yeah, that's great. So I know that you have talked a little bit about your book. So can you tell us a little bit more and who this book might be for? Mm -hmm. So I wrote it specifically for, um, women that have called off a wedding broken off an engagement, gone through a divorce, or simply left a relationship. And um, although I had a toxic relationship, 
I'm finding that it is serving um, women really well, even if it, they weren't in a toxic relationship, but simply just they ended a relationship. So I wrote it for um, someone that's just kind of like, give me the steps, just give me kind of like practical steps I can do. Like, let me do this first and then let me do this. Because when you're leaving a relationship and dealing with a broken heart, your brain stops functioning. Mm. And you are like, I call, I call it the brain swirl. Like all your thoughts are swirling together. You probably have insomnia. You probably break out crying at random things like a smell or a movie or a song. And so you kind of need uh, parameters. And so this is for women that need parameters. If you don't need parameters, power to you, have fun. <laughs> um, but this is for someone that's like, okay, let me read the happiness project and let me implement like the themes and creating my own um, commandments. Cause that was another thing from the book that I got is I created my own commandments on how I want to live my life. And then like how to start a seasonal bucket list. Um, the, the importance of therapy and actually finding a third party impartial that is not your friends or family so that you can talk these things through. So I share kind of everything I did in the order that I did it. Um, so it could, could help just provide some steps for someone that is trying to heal a broken heart. Mm, that sounds great. And then the name of the book again? Love Lost, Life Found. Perfect. And you can get it at Amazon or any place. Yeah, it's a uh, yeah. Amazon and Kobo are the two platforms, but I have um, lovelostlifefound.com has all the links there. Perfect. And then where else can we connect with you at? Do you like to hang out anywhere on social media in particular? So robinbaldwin.com uh, is my hub and all my social media links are there. I'm mainly on um, Facebook, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm uh, like slowly getting into <laughs> Snapchat, but Snapchat's really just like where I share a lot of uh, life with two dogs. <laughs> so, um, but I'm Robin with a Y uh, Baldwin. So at Robin Baldwin, basically on every platform. Oh, perfect. All right. Wrapping up the final couple questions. What does peaceful power mean to you? Ooh, okay. So power is owning who you are in this world authentically and with a strong voice. So peaceful power would be um, the way that I describe life is work-life harmony. And so finding your power and your purpose and aligning your priorities to it, but doing it in a way that is um, full of ease. Ease is one of my core desired feelings, um, but going out after all of your goals and dreams in a way that is full of ease is the peaceful part of that. Mm, love that. And then finally, what weekly challenge would you like to give the listeners? Ooh, I'm all about morning routines. So um, I'm, what I did is I just moved from Toronto to Ottawa in 2016 to move in with my boyfriend and come back to my hometown. Mm -hmm. And I thought I could take my morning routine and like transplant it and plop it down <laughs> into my new life. And that doesn't happen. So <laughs> my challenge is if you are not a morning person, um, and you want to develop a morning routine, which everyone should, because the morning hours are probably the hours where you can be most productive in either taking care of yourself from a fitness standpoint or creating a side hustle or even just like me time, whether it's meditating or um, journaling or reading. So your challenge this week is to wake up five minutes earlier than you normally do and try one healthy habit. Mm, I love that. 
Thank you so much for being on the podcast, Robin. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you for having me. Yes, and everyone go out there and spread your peaceful power. Thank you so much for listening to the Peaceful Power Podcast. And if you want more information about today's show, head on over to andreaclawson.com, where you can also find my free guide to working out for your body type. And if you haven't already, I would love it if you could rate and review the show over on iTunes and share it with any of your friends that you think would benefit from hearing the Peaceful Power message. Thanks again, and go out there and spread your peaceful power.